On this episode, we discuss the Humanity Bureau, starring Nicholas Cage. Cage. Welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Oh man, it's been a long time, Dan. It's me, Stuart Wellington. And over here, Elliot Kalen, confirming that yes, for us, it has been a long time. Even though for you, mm-hmm. the listeners, it's only been the regular two weeks since an episode. All right. Well, I guess that's a peek behind the curtain. People needed to know how <laughs> cool. long it was. I mean, we are all in actuality, that's talking. not the case because last week we recorded a Max Fun donors only bonus episode. So it's actually been less time than usual between recordings yeah. for us. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, now you're probably wondering why I haven't said Max Fun Boners Only Donus episode, and that's because uh, <laughs> I guess I just did. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, asked, a rascal asked and answered, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, guys, what do we do on this here flop house? That's what I was going to ask, Dan. What do we do on this here flop house? Well, uh, we watch a bad movie and then we talk about it, uh-huh. and boy, howdy. What time of year is it? This is what time the, of year is it, Tiny is, Elliot? Is this? I, well, hold on a second. <laughs> now I'm assuming Tiny Elliot is a reference to the Nicolas Cage character Tiny Elvis from uh-huh. SNL, not just the <laughs> fact that I'm a shorter than average human being. Uh, or Tiny Tiny Tim also. Yeah, uh, Tiny Tim, the Nicolas Cage character from A Cage Miss Carol. Hey, wait a minute! It's Cage Miss. That's right. It's that special time at the end of the year when we celebrate the recent works of our patron saint, Saint Nicholas. Nicholas Cage, mm-hmm. that is, the greatest actor in the world who makes the worst choices in the world. Uh, often, yeah. yeah, often. Wait, 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 wait. He yeah, often makes often the worst makes choices. choices. And we're not just talking about his choice of property or, I don't know, hair style. <laughs> we're not talking about his choice to overstretch his finances by buying castles and a smuggled Mongolian Tyrannosaurus skull. We're talking about mm-hmm. his choice in roles. Because here's the thing, guys. Let me lay it with you. Let me Let me just be honest here. I do really mm-hmm. think Nicolas Cage is one of the best actors ever, but he's not always in the best roles. But maybe today will be a little different. Dan, what movie did we watch today as if it wasn't already announced at the top of the show? <laughs> we watched The Humanity Bureau. Now, you probably have never heard of this movie. Uh-huh. Uh, talk, I mean, that's the Slim Pickens uh, this year when it comes to Nicolas Cage. Slim Pickens people. is in it? How um, great would it be if Nicolas Cage did a movie that was a biopic of Slim Pickens? I would love that. <laughs> that would be yeah. amazing. What so a- yeah, we so the last like year or so, Nicolas Cage has made uh, like a couple of indie hits. Yeah, uh, Mandy and Mom and Dad are both really great, and he. So we had to hop over to the old internet movie database <laughs> and <laughs> see what movies he's turned out that aren't those two movies. Yeah, what what the ones he pooped out in private? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pooped out in private. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the name of the uh, the Criterion Eclipse collection of these Nicolas Cage movies. Is Nicolas Cage pooped out in private? <laughs> now, uh, so we, so often, so Nicolas Cage. We it used to be that there were glorious riches of bad Nicolas Cage movies. Now there's still plenty of them, but they're not as high profile. Yeah, and this is perhaps the lowest profile Nicolas Cage movie we've ever done. And that's yeah, including, I, mean, I think I remember uh, uh, I remember when I was a boy. When I was a boy, guys, I uh-huh. could, you you could just stroll through the fields and there'd be 
There'd be Nicolas Cage movies all over the ground, and you could just pick them up and eat them right there. <laughs> yeah. But then climate change and uh, Nicolas Cage movie uh, swarms have been dropping in population very drastically, and it's an important part of the bad movie ecosystem. So, guys, let's do everything we can to reuse Nicolas Cage movies, recycle Nicolas Cage movies, and the other one. The other re for <laughs> conservation that I don't remember. <laughs> reduce, reduce. No, we don't want to reduce Nicolas Cage movies. Well, we want to reduce. No, that's the opposite. Reduce non-Nicolas Cage movies. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. But yeah, I I feel like we 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 grew up during a golden age when Nicolas Cage was making good movies in theaters, and also his bad movies were released in theaters. And now mm-hmm. his bad movies uh are mostly low budget things that he needs the work uh to put it. To put it, uh, uh, to coin a phrase that's never been said before, these are the movies he kind of pooped out in private. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. That's a new phrase I just invented. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, Dan, how did you hear about this movie, The Humanity Bureau? Because I had never heard of it until we started. Or, Stuart, were you the one who brought <laughs> it up? You brought uh, it up, right? I mean, I told you the same thing. But I looked at IMDb, <laughs> and I'm like, what movies? Which one has the dumbest name? Okay, let's pick that one. Now, is yeah. this a sequel to The Adjustment Bureau, or perhaps a prequel or squeakquel to the adjustment bureau another movie i don't know bureau. I've, I've never seen the adjustment bureau so i can't I tell i think you. it's a movie about people wearing hats from what i could tell yeah it's about the band men without hats before they lost their hats <laughs> is that why they're called that yeah i think so they were, they, were, they were always known for their hats before that yeah then, yeah you know. the uh, it's the it's the basis for john Classen's hit children books children's book i want my hat back that's yeah, one for they, all the well, they wanted, the they wanted to they wanted to differentiate that band from the band the men, uh, and they had to specify because the men apparently always wear hats. Oh, whatever. Anyway, yeah, so this is a rich, I, I this is a rich <laughs> <laughs> So the Humanity Bureau falls under the heading of uh, dystopia movies, and it also falls under the heading of worst driving CGI I've ever seen in a, in a feature film. I the, the the bad driving CGI set up an expectation that this movie was not prepared to follow through on because I was laughing out loud at the first scene. I'm like, this is going to be great, and then the rest of the movie was just a slide into disappointment. Yeah, mm-hmm. but the bad, yeah, there there, it's like he's driving through a video game. <laughs> it's I want to uh, I want to just give a quick mention of warning to uh, Flophouse listener and special effects expert Todd Vaziri. Todd, we're going to be talking mm-hmm. about bad CGI on this one. So get ready to defend CGI effects on Twitter. That's what he does sometimes. I figured that uh, I figured that any moment after that first scene, the camera would just pull back and you would see that it's on the set of Saturday Night Live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are... I mean, there, I, are, I, there are times when I was like, oh, he's just sitting in a fake car in front of a TV at an amusement park or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I texted a friend and I was like, there are rear screen projection effects in Alfred Hitchcock movies that look better than this. And that it he also does the classic thing of moving the steering wheel way too much. He'll be driving yeah. down a straight road <laughs> and he's constantly swerving the wheel as if I guess he's trying to avoid Koopa shells in the in the road that uh <laughs> banana peels that Wario threw in his path. Yeah, yeah. I mean Wario's a fucking awesome asshole. <laughs> now what's your feeling about Waluigi? I mean, obviously, I feel uh, positive about Waluigi, but, you know, <laughs> is that Wario's obvious? A, uh, I mean, it's obvious. <laughs> He's Waluigi. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I feel like Wario uh, was my, like, first and greatest love. So, you know, I'm going to go with Wario on this one. Small business owner Wario. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. So, should we talk about uh, what this movie is about? 
Because it's yeah, I suppose so. It's not just about watching Nicolas Cage pretend to drive poorly in front of a very bad uh, special effect. It's also about yep. Before we start, this is possibly the most rote story that I have ever seen on the flop house. Yeah, someone like, wrote it, Dan. Ba 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 ba. I think that's the hundredth time I've done that joke on the flop house. Confetti, 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 confetti. <laughs> parade, parade, Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras, body blow, body blow, knockout. Wow. I'm oh, impressed wow. that you set up all that confetti ahead of time. To yeah, now I gotta clean it up. <laughs> well, I was wait well, the 80th time I did that joke, I was like, I gotta get ready for number hundred, because it's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. There's a time uh-huh. when when Dan's gonna say it again and I'm gonna say it again, and it's gonna be the hundredth time, and then I'm gonna be the I'm gonna get a free Toys R Us shopping spree, just like on Nickelodeon. <laughs> okay. I don't know who's sponsoring you, but that's great. Uh, uh, he said he said Nickelodeon, dude. Nickelodeon's doing it right. Okay. They yeah, still yeah. make stuff, right? That's I'm, a channel. I mean, not the television it is a channel, channel, not the television channel Nickelodeon, but an actual old timey movie theater that that charges oh, a nickel wow. to watch that train get into the station. And sure, uh, yeah. And be, well, Elliot's Elliot's recommendations <laughs> keeps driving them into our theater. <laughs> uh, but Dan, what were you going to say? It's a rote movie. Yeah, it's just the like it's the most basic. Is that because dystopia. somebody wrote it? Hundred and one Dalmatians. <laughs> okay, there wasn't much more to my what I was going to say. No, I no, just, it's like, a it's a very by the numbers, soulless, very uh, bland and dull dystopia. And yeah, a lot of play, look, a lot of filmmakers they don't have a lot of money in the budget for special effects, not even realistic car driving effects. They don't have a big cast, and they make up for it. With, I guess, the most valuable and yet cheapest effect of all, which is what's that? Imagination. Oh, which is, okay. Which is the ability. <laughs> You've been to talking up, to Vin Diesel again. <laughs> yeah, the ability to come up with concepts or ideas that, or even dialogue or scenes or characters that we've never seen before, and really blow us away. The creators of the Humanity Bureau, Bureau decided not to go that route, and instead mm-hmm. they would go the opposite route of just kind of doing what other people have done before. And we'll talk about that. So the Humanity Bureau. We open on text. Oh, boy. Everyone's favorite thing to open on. Is there – how mm-hmm. many good movies are there that open on text? Is it just the Star Wars movies? Uh, uh, yeah. Wait, no. I mean, no. Texas Fucking. Chainsaw Massacre, I guess, also opens on text. Uh, Conan the Barbarian. Okay, Conan the Barbarian. Okay. Uh, has there been a good movie in the past, like, 10 years that opened on text? Again, barring Star Wars movies. Mm, probably not. Well, uh, Flophouse yeah. listeners, right on in. If you got an idea, send it to text at theflophouse.com. It's not a real email address. So maybe, <laughs> so maybe just write into the regular email address. Yeah, I mean, and that's barring, like, we're not talking about, like, credits. We're talking about descriptive text. Yeah, explanatory text. I mean, most movies start with credits, and many of them are very good. Okay, but the text tells us that in the, <laughs> ne- <laughs> in the near future, the climate collapsed. And that caused society to collapse, and America has walled off its cities and created the Humanity Bureau, whose job is to relocate people who are considered burdens on society. That's right. Mm -hmm. We're living in one of those post-collapse dystopias that somehow both, I guess, like very socialist and very like libertarian conservative. It's a movie that feels like it's political, but it actually does not have any political ideas in its head. Cut to Nevada. Nicholas Cage, our hero, Agent Noah Cross of the Humanity Bureau. And let's talk about that name, Noah Cross. For that's, a a, that's a real name. Now that's, that's it's fucking awesome, is what it is. <laughs> so right? that's all, yeah. But that's the name of the villain in Chinatown, is Noah Cross. 
Really? That's is he a vampire? (laughs) Yeah. So you're saying it's the same character? Yeah, probably. Okay. So uh, by vampire, I mean like that's the name of a daywalker who hunts down other vampires. I mean, it's pretty clear, and he has some kind of (laughs) crow-like thrown blade weapon. Yeah, of course, (laughs) sure. Uh, Perhaps. Uh, So is that what the crawler is named after? Because it's shaped kind of like crawl's blade weapon. I can only assume so, yeah. Yeah, okay, that's fair. What about a bear crawler? In original, in original commercials for crawlers, uh, <laughs> they had guys throwing uh, <laughs> crawlers into people's mouths. Now, was it was it a tie-in with crawl? Was that the thing? Yeah, like, yeah, was... yeah. They, they got Liam Neeson for the commercials. <laughs> wow, really? Because he plays the thief character in the, that movie. That reminds me of when uh, Darkman came out, and they introduced darkness and rooms without lights turned on. And he was yeah. like, he was like having trouble sleeping with the lights on. Well, there's something new in town. And they turned mm-hmm. the lights off. And it was the first time I ever saw a room with no lights on. And I was, and it's funny that people <laughs> don't realize that darkness came as a tie-in with Darkman. It didn't exist. Yeah, I remember. That. I remember that commercial played during Saturday morning cartoons, and a couple of kids <laughs> see Durant standing in the doorway, and they're like, "Oh no, it's Durant!" And then they turn off the light, and they're like, "He's gone." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks, yeah, we, darkness. We all remember those commercials. Anyway, <laughs> oh, I wanted to be one of those kids so bad. Anyway, so we're in Nevada. Nicholas Cage, Agent Noah Cross. He's driving terrible green screen behind his car. Get used to it because it's going to be the best character in the whole movie is the bad green screen. And he's got a hologram iPad, my other favorite character, which seems to be, uh-huh. if anything, less efficient than a normal iPad. It seems like uh-huh. he has to do a lot more extra work to get it to work and tell him things. And, but mm-hmm. it's, also, it's also one of those movies where it's like, we got to show this is the future. He's got an iPad that he can talk to, and it talks back to him. But that technology already exists in the modern world, so we'll have a little hologram floating above it all the time, and that'll well, I ass- and that'll I assume <clears throat> really drain the battery power. <laughs> I feel like I feel like companies would only would only create uh, hologram cell phones if they really want to cut down on people sending like dick pics and like people like surfing porno sites on their phone because <laughs> it projects it above the phone Yeah, because everyone would see that person like lazily scrolling through porn <laughs> <laughs> now they don't have to be doing it lazily maybe they're doing it with a purpose i mean i think i'm inst- i'm instilling a little bit of my own personal life into this joke <laughs> and also these these holograms look like holograms. I mean, they look like Princess Leia being projected out of R two D two. So, like, like the porn that you would see on it would not be that. Like the <laughs> the resolution would be pretty oh, low. Is what okay. I'm saying. Yeah, it's not the optimum when people, way to. When people look at porn on the internet, the thing they're first worried about is: is this 4K? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're like, <laughs> is this Blu-ray is this quality? HD? <laughs> I won't look at it if it's not. Yeah. Is this bootleg look. stream of a of a porn video in the best possible visual quality is this 3d tv Look, uh, i can't get off to standard definition anymore i'm sorry you need you need to see pores yeah yeah exactly now uh what i now speaking of seeing pores there's a lot of poor people uh. in this movie that have to be <laughs> that have to be relocated oh, wow. by the humanity bureau so let's get back to it so nicholas cage is also driving it's an old kind of like what like muscle car type car but clearly it's an el camino it's an el camino but he's had it re- retrofitted somehow they mentioned at some point that they haven't made new cars in 30 years or something like that. they're constantly like upping the ante of what things are not around in the future because they're like yeah. they haven't built new cars in a long time and later it's like here's a can of coffee very rare hard to get and then later on someone's like we're going up to a lake and someone's like they don't have lakes anymore <laughs> <laughs> well there's a moment where yeah they talk about how rare coffee is and then later on you see a guy drinking a takeout cup of coffee <laughs> 
<laughs> There's a part later on where Nicolas Cage has to has to trade his expensive watch for a can of beans, and it's like, okay, hold on a second. Just how <laughs> bad is everything that's going on? Because we also see earlier that, later that he has a Monet in his apartment. Like, this is mm-hmm. Last Man on Earth and, like, Will Forte. He's just been walking around the world stealing treasures. <laughs> but, okay, uh, he goes to a motel where they're selling unlicensed pure water, which is not okay to do. And he sees this old uh, – yeah. And that uh, and that unlicensed pure water is clearly an Evian bottle with the, like, label removed. With and while on one off. hand – yeah, yeah, yeah. On one hand, like – I get like I like that like detail that they have to scrounge for that sort of thing, but most likely it was just a lazy prop choice. Yeah, as lazy as a as a Pornhub browser. <laughs> yep. <laughs> now this uh, uh, something that made me think of before when you said lazily scanning through, it was like a, a goofus mm-hmm. and gallant for adults, where it's like goofus lazily browses through Pornhub. Gallant has a specific fetish that he's searching for. <laughs> <laughs> uh so the he so Nicholas Cage has a meeting with an old man who is appealing the decision for him to be relocated to New Eden. New Eden is where they send all the people who cannot support themselves financially. Now, they're told it's a place where everyone gets everything they want and it's all mm-hmm. candy and elves and comic books and, and all that stuff. But you know he says he knows the truth and it's like yeah, of course. It's a place where they kill people. Like, what else is it going to be? Like, <laughs> yeah. from the first moment, I mean, I wasn't sure if the audience was ever supposed to believe that New Eden is a good place. Nicolas Cage seems to think so. Every other character in the movie seems to be totally aware that it is a place where they kill people who go there. Yeah, I mean, I assumed right off the bat that it was going to be a place where they kill people and turn them into food, and New Eden was going to be a pun for New Eden. <laughs> <laughs> Stuart, that is so much more imagination and wit than anyone put into this movie. <laughs> Uh, because as we see later, we'll get to it. The people who get killed in New Eden just turn into get turned into ashes, which are then packed into boxes to be used when uh-huh. you want to threaten somebody who works for you. So uh, the old man is like, "I don't want to go there, but it's a crime not to be a productive citizen." It's never really explained what productivity is, since everyone in the movie is either a non-productive burden who's running from the government or a government agent. There's nobody in between, uh, uh-huh. and and so. This turns into a gunfight. The old man pulls a gun on Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage, our hero, we're introduced to him <laughs> yeah, shooting and like, killing an old man. I'm uh, just going to go get some receipts from underneath my mattress in here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nicolas Cage has to audit their finances, and he's looking through papers that look like they're from the gold rush era. It's like they put, mm-hmm. guys, you did not have to use a match and coffee to stain and burn these documents to make them look like pirate maps. They can just look uh-huh. like old receipts. And I yeah. love that the establishing shot for this guy's rundown apartment is, which they use a couple times, is always a close-up shot of a plate with old food on it covered in mealworms. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, they all yeah. live in a Cenobite Hellraiser world, I guess. Now, I think we we were speaking over you when you're making this point, Elliot, but uh, it struck me that, yes, like our, introduced, our introduction to our hero is him shooting a destitute old man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean we're split. He's we he's a guy who's working for bad people. We know that, but it is yeah. a very unsympathetic way to to be introduced to Nicolas Cage. At the very least, make the person that he's going after a threat in some yeah. way, so that we see I a mean, sense of Nicolas totally, Cage's skills. He totally, I mean, he totally blasts the hotel guy with a shotgun before Nicolas Cage shoots him. That's that guy's true. on a rampage. The way this scene works out is he goes, "Let me get these other papers." He closes the door. He gets a shotgun and he blasts it through the door, I guess using his Matt Murdock Daredevil radar sense to mm-hmm. to know where Nicolas Cage is. He opens the door. Nicolas Cage is gone. And it turns out Nicolas Cage has the amazing skill of moving out of the way of doors 
when there might be a shotgun blast behind it. And then the, mm-hmm. the yeah. hotel owner walks in, the old man kills him, and then Nicolas Cage shoots and kills the old man. And we learn the old man was once the governor of Colorado and had dinner at the White House with President Donald Trump in a... Pretty, oh, wow, how the mighty have fallen. Oh, boy, very much so. Uh, Donald Trump, we must assume, is wearing some kind of sackcloth and eating ashes in the desert, uh, you know, <laughs> as penance of some kind. We can only imagine because the bigger they are, the, the harder they fall. And he's a pretty big guy. I'm not trying to yeah. size shame him. He's taller than me. He's just kind of like there's a, a like an elephantine quality about Donald Trump. But anyway, we don't need to get into that because this is way in the future when that's <laughs> all over. Don't. No. So I can only assume that Nicolas Cage was behind the uh, behind the couch because he was looking for more receipts and then was surprised <laughs> when shotguns started flaming. I think so. Uh, and as – look uh, – well, I don't know. I was going to try to quote a uh, Carol Kane, that Carol Kane song about it. You can't talk to a man with a shotgun in his hand. But then I briefly forgot the lyrics, so forget about that. Okay, guys. Nicolas Cage, as a result of his just top work shooting this old man, is getting a promotion. And uh, he talks to this <laughs> this bald guy in his apartment who I can't tell if it's his boss or his partner or just another coworker. Their relationship seems to be kind of fluid. Uh, but but the uh, Nicolas Cage, he sympathizes too much with the unproductive. He doesn't want to move them. And as he says to this bald man, whose name I think is Adam, but I wasn't really sure, he says- I thought it was like Ben Westinghouse. Oh, that could be it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Named after, he's the, uh, his family owns the patent on the refrigerators. <laughs> oh, okay. so that's why he was able to survive and become a federal agent. So bald man yeah. is right off the top. You can tell he's going to be the bad guy. Uh, and that's why he, I'm going to spin him off into the movie Bald Man, and then I can have the sequel Bald Man versus Dark Man, where they mm-hmm. finally fight. These two characters we wanted to see in conflict for so long. Dark Man, yeah. who mm-hmm. has the power of fake faces, and Bald Man, who has the power of blinding you when light shines off of his dome. And that is yeah. the, that's the enemy of darkness. And we often think of darkness as bad, but in this case it's good, because mm-hmm. Dark Man, he hides in the shadows for justice, and Bald Man, he shines the light of injustice in your eyes to blind you. So anyway, I mean, the darkness comic book is bad, but the <laughs> the darkness band is pretty good. All right. So I yeah. mean, it's balanced out. Right? And, all right, there's and, a, there's and, all, and blinded there's by the almost, light is a different song that people don't realize is a Bruce Springsteen song, but it is. There's almost no plot in this film, but we've spent <laughs> 20 minutes talking about the first five minutes. Okay, so, so uh, Nicholas Cage mentions that he's seen children drink their own piss. I guess he was watching mm-hmm. Waterworld Babies, uh, starring <laughs> starring little Kev Costner. Uh, and Nicholas Cage remembers the good old days when he was a kid, and his mom used to take him to a lake and teach him fly fishing. And he is using a fly fishing rod in his in his apartment and hooks it onto the Monet on his wall. Which who cares? Society has collapsed. How who cares about how valuable a Monet is anymore? Okay, mm-hmm. Nick. Nicholas, he goes to his next next humanity that needs bureauizing. That's a mom named Rachel and her son Lucas. And Rachel has dressed Lucas up in new shoes who that don't fit to make it look like he is they're they're successful. Nicholas Cage goes through their papers. Which is which is fucking crazy because later on this kid is climbing all over a roof wearing a brand new pair of Timberlands, man. Like <laughs> what? Yeah. Why tell me you about put it. him in those shitty dress shoes, man? Those Tims look awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh, Nicholas Cage he tells them they're gonna have to relocate, and Rachel slaps him. But then Lucas is climbing up on that roof, putting a bird back in a nest that he keeps on a chimney. I couldn't quite mm-hmm. understand what what was going on. I guess there's a bird that lives in a nest on a chimney on the house. There's apparently enough food for this bird to get by, so why don't they just let the bird tell them how to not be a burden on society? Because bird, you can't spell <laughs> bird in without bird, right, Dan? Uh, well, not those exact letters, but yes. <laughs> Close enough, though, right? Yeah, all right, I guess so. Now, I'm a little confused about the, the timeline here, because I feel like— Well, I, Dan, this is the I'm, future. All and right. That's, and that's why— and that's why. But wait, 
We're in the future. No, no. Oh, no. We're in the Every f- moment we're in the future from the moment before. <laughs> well, okay. that's true. Day, uh, uh, there was a scientist, I believe, who once said, I think it was uh, uh, his postulate that time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. <laughs> okay. And also, do, 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 do. So that <laughs> applies not. to this situation. But Dan, what did you not understand about the timeline? Now, I mean It goes have... like this. I wasn't it goes paying... like this. Creation of the universe, single-celled organisms, plants, amphibians, no. reptiles, mammals, mm-hmm. people. Okay. Then question Thanks. mark, question mark, question mark, like an Evite where you don't know how late the party's going to go. Mm-hmm. And then Morlocks and Eli. <laughs> yeah, um, Eli. Just a guy named Eli and his Morlocks. Eloi. I don't I know said, how the fuck. I would have said Eloi, but you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. Um. So <laughs> le- I may have misunderstood things because I was frankly not paying full attention to the movie. But I feel like later on, don't we learn that by this time he has like learned the shocking truth of New Eden? Like he learns it like in between. No, like, not the- yet, not yet. Okay, that's that's that hasn't that is about to happen. Anyway, Nicholas Cage saves this boy by giving him CPR, which I guess heals the broken leg that he got from falling off a roof. Uh, uh-huh. And Nicholas Cage, this is the weirdest part of the movie for me. He's hanging out in their live in their one room house while the mom gives Lucas, who is eleven years old, a bath in a big metal tub. And it's like, yeah, uh-huh. uh, one, it's kind of weird for her to still be giving him a bath. <laughs> he is almost an adolescent, and two, uh-huh. that it's even weirder that Nicholas Cage is watching this mom give this kid a bath. <laughs> <laughs> like the whole situation is weird. It's for, and you know, you know what. Family togetherness, you know, you know, the family that bathes together stays together. But I think it's it's still weird. Like when my son's eleven, you better believe I'm not going to be washing him in a big tub. And you better damn well believe Nicolas Cage is not welcome to wash my to watch my eleven year old son wash himself. <laughs> oh come on, he's Nicolas Cage. Yeah, I'm going to stick with I'm going to side with Dan on this one. <laughs> okay, <laughs> outvoted Nick. When my son's eleven, come on by and watch him take a bath. The jury has now- spoken. <laughs> <laughs> this is around the time where Nicolas Cage is li- uh, turns to the woman and he's like, why do you want to stay here? And I think it's pretty clear. They have this big-ass house with a ton of stuff in it. Like, they have a whole fucking display of commemorative spoons. <laughs> <laughs> like, if they're so like if they're so poor, wh- why, how do they have all this stuff? Are there stores yeah. still? Why do you sell those spoons? Who's the set dresser for this movie who's like... <laughs> Well, we could make it look post-apocalyptic, or we could just use my friend's house. Now, now, let's just say right now we are not falling into the Fox News trap of saying, "How can you be poor if you have stuff?" Because poor, you know, poor people have TVs and refrigerators; they can't be that poor. Don't give them welfare. But it is true that they are supposed to be so destitute that the government wants to relocate them to a death camp, and yet they've got so many. They have. I mean, I don't know where she got those new shoes. There should have had a line about like, "I had to trade." You know, my eggs for those shoes or something like that. You know, <laughs> they they really well, don't seem to be in in that bad a shape. But maybe the standards in the future are just so high because the rich don't yeah. want to share. You know, yeah. And the idea of like it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like there's a Walmart down the street that they're just going to to buy their stuff. Oh no, they live in a blasted wasteland. They live on. And a, they have on they have Dune. like they have like four different cookie jars on their counter. <laughs> That's true. There's a scene <laughs> this later. This feels like a world that doesn't have cookies. <laughs> there's, a, there's a scene later where the bad guy needs something that, that he saw get put in a cookie jar, but he's tied up and he's telling somebody, it's in the cookie jar. No, the other cookie jar. And it's like, yeah, good point. Why does this family have so many decorative <laughs> cookie jars? <laughs> okay, so Nicolas Cage, he feels sympathy 
for this boy that he's watching get a bath. And he calls in and, and he remembers fishing with his mom. And he calls in and says, let's delay their deportation. I'm going to look into the case. Baldy does not like that. He's already suspicious of Nicolas Cage. Now he's double suspicious. Nicolas Cage goes back to the big city and uh-huh. he follows the clue that he got from the old man, which leads him to meet like this kind of rebel guy who, uh, in an elevator. And the rebel gives him a micro, like a data chip that tells him the truth about New Eden. Now we don't get to see it. But it's pretty clear that he's learning that they just kill the people that go to New but Eden. What, so what about this old man with a shotgun at the beginning made – like nothing about him he's, would he's make so me close think to he's being, part of a resistance. He's so close to being a hobo with a shotgun but not yeah. quite there. Um, yeah, there's no – there's nothing that would make me believe that this guy is part of a complicated resistance movement. He just seems like a poor old man down on his luck. That's but maybe true. that's all an act. It could be a cover story. Although this seems to fall into the V for Vendetta trap of everyone in the movie is either a fascist or a rebel, and there's no regular uh-huh. people in between. The way how yeah. in, in V for Vendetta, everyone openly disparages the fascist totalitarian government, seemingly without punishment. And yet mm-hmm. no one they never no one ever puts two and two together and is like, oh, there's like four people who run the whole government and they have three policemen who work for them. Maybe we should just go and fire them and just take over. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's kind of like that. Everyone in the movie is either a bad guy or a rebel with nothing in between. Some of them yeah. are even rebel rebels, which is like uh-huh. – we'll, we'll get to that later. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. But, and none of them, of course, are robble robble, which is what the hamburger <laughs> says. Oh, God. Yeah, he died long ago. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, what if there was a scene where they like found the hamburger's bones clutching <laughs> what was left what? of a hamburger? <laughs> I love – I, I, That would be very strange. I, in post, that, that's in post that's the answer to your what if – I, I guess that's true. You would go, what? My, I'm a sucker for post-apocalyptic stories where they stumble upon vestiges of civilization that they don't recognize but that we recognize. Like, uh-huh, like, uh, like Tom Petty in the Postman movie? Uh, yeah, basically. Yeah. Or like the end of uh, – I mean he recognizes it, the Statue of Liberty, but the end of the Planet of the Apes or like – there, there's uh, – there's all these movies where or, – or books more where people are wandering through a post-apocalyptic world and they'll come across like the ruins of a, of a New York landmark mm-hmm. and the characters yeah. don't know what it is but you know what it is. I love that stuff. So maybe they just find someone in a hamburger costume. <laughs> they, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. they come across the radioactive – what's left of a McDonald's play place and they go, yeah, huh. They, they- hmm. These they, must have they been. Come upon the, they come upon the feet of uh, of an of an Azar's big boy statue, and uh, <laughs> it's just the like plaque reads, yeah, <laughs> gaze yeah. upon my big boy in despair. Well, they find <laughs> they find the the statues of the McDonald's, and they see Mary McCheese, and they go, ah, this was their leader, uh, probably a war chief, <laughs> and then they see Grimace, and they go, and this was their god. Interesting. <laughs> uh, Okay, so Nicholas Cage. I mean, Mayor McCheese is a fucking puppet, right? We can all agree. Oh yeah, he's a puppet for Ronald McDonald. Ronald's in charge. Oh yeah, uh, considering Ronald's the richest man in his town and it's named after him, I think the fact that it's called McDonald Land and not the People's Republic of Burgersvania or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ronald McDonald is very much the hands behind the puppet and the uh, the man behind the throne. Now, here's uh-huh. the thing: who's the rebel in this uh-huh. scenario? Is it the bird with the flight cap? Or is that's it Birdie? Or really, you know what? Is it Hamburglar? Is he yeah, the rebel? It's pretty clear. And that's what he's saying. Rebel, rebel, not Robble, Robble. You know what, guys? Forget uh-huh. what I said. He is a rebel. He's the best of them all. Hamburglar, someday you'll be a hero, but not today. Uh, mm-hmm. And and there's going to be that moment where uh, Hamburglar uh, gives his life to remove the bomb from Gotham City, and they put a statue of him in Town Hall, and then his butler finds him alive in Italy. 
And at no point, uh-huh. yep. it, at no point, does he go to Gotham and be like, "Oh, you can take that statue down. He's fine." <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do you think that's his responsibility to be like? <laughs> you should do that if you see Why something. You say something, that? Dan. He saw a living Bruce Wayne. <laughs> say something. Take down that boondoggle of a bat statue. Just because he died, didn't die, he doesn't deserve recognition for saving Gotham? Uh, you know, because this opens up a world where Christian Bale decides to dress up as Batman, go over to Gotham, and just uh-huh. step in front of the statue and start selling his uh, selling his autograph and taking pictures in front of it. And that's not cool. Okay. Okay, mm-hmm. so Nicolas Cage, uh, he goes to Lucas's recital. He t- The official cover story is, I delayed their deportation so he could go to his recital at school that he's been training for. And Lucas's part is to literally recite the Pledge of Allegiance, and everyone Woof. applauds him as if that's difficult, as if millions stinker. of children don't do that every day. Uh, it is very stupid. This movie is very heavy-handed with its, like, America stuff. The people are like, this uh-huh. was supposed to be the United States of America. Look mm-hmm. what happens. That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Nicholas Cage gives Rachel a can of coffee. Very rare. The next morning, uh-huh. Nicholas Cage having stayed the light, stayed the night, but as a gentleman, he sleeps in his car. He does not. Mm-hmm. He, he does not take. I the feel up- like this is a movie where cars are the only <laughs> place people sleep, or car-shaped beds. Yeah. Or beds That's- shaped like or or cars shaped. Like, wait. I, yeah, car-shaped bed. For a minute, I thought I said a, uh, a car shaped like a bed, which would be crazy. <laughs> It would be crazy because they haven't made car, new cars in years. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's just a bed on wheels, I guess. Yeah. Uh, which I guess is how the grandparents in the uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory would get around. Just a bed on wheels. <laughs> yep. When they participate in wacky races. <laughs> <laughs> what a crossover. Finally, the worlds of Hanna-Barbera and Royal Dahl have combined. Uh, okay. So the next morning, Baldy shows up. There's a big fight. Lucas shoots him in the eye with a BB gun or a rifle or something and uh-huh. knocks his eye right out of his head. Leads to a very uh-huh. lackluster fist fight. And Rachel holds up Nicolas Cage's gun and shows she is totally incapable of handling it as she just shoots the walls up, loses control uh-huh. of it, and they escape just as the other Humanity Bureau agents arrive. Now, uh-huh. we next we get to my favorite little detail in the movie, which is that uh, yep. they, have, they have handcuffed Baldy and he has to mm-hmm. tell his his sidekick Porter, give him the key, which is hidden in the aforementioned cookie jars. And they have, I, I don't know if, if, so they must have done this as a little bit of frontier medicine. They have duct taped a piece <laughs> of bread over his, uh, over his empty <laughs> yeah. eye socket, I guess because they don't have bandages in the future, but they do have bread. And it's such Which a- is weird because <laughs> the whole point is they don't have bread, right? <laughs> I guess that was, maybe it's really moldy. And, I don't know. But it is such a funny visual. And it's the one yeah. movie where, the one moment where it turns into like a Fury Road, Delicatessen, Terry Gilliam type movie. It's just like, yep, that's what they use for bandages in the future. Just little pieces of bread <laughs> in, in duct taped here. Your face partially eaten bread partially nothing's um, nothing's better to put on an open wound such as a missing eye than a little piece of partially eaten, eaten bread <laughs> yeah like it's, i love it it is such a weird scene it's like he has bread <laughs> taped to his face and he's telling his his assistant no the other cookie jar and you're like this is supposed to be funny i assume right yeah uh, and then and then I think we cut to Westinghouse walking down an austere hallway back at the Humanity Bureau, and he's passing a janitor's cart and picks up a paint scraper that's just sitting there and uses it as a mirror to uh, check out his new eye patch, which is crazy. Like, wouldn't he just go to his office to do that? <laughs> or the bathroom. Do they not have bathrooms in the future with mirrors? Uh, now – he is meeting with his superiors in a wet parking lot because mm-hmm. I don't think they had access to the conference rooms at that particular building when they were shooting it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they tell him that 
he has to stop Cross because they have to preserve the illusion of New Eden. And he shows them that the bad guy superior shows them this these boxes of ashes. And he yeah, pulls something. This out. is this is a empty parking lot, but for one pallet of boxes. Yes, and he, he it's this box of ashes, and he pulls out and he goes, "What do you think this is? A piece of bone, a tooth?" And his assistant goes, um, "Maybe she's not his assistant. I just assumed because he's the one who's throwing the threats around, but maybe they are co-equals on this bad guy committee." She says, "I think it's a child's tooth," and he goes, "Yeah, a child's tooth. Anyway, you better stop him or you'll go to New Eden." And it was like this movie is. That's a pretty crazy moment to be like, mm, take a look at this kid's tooth. We killed this kid and burned him. The same thing will happen to you. And it, it, just playing off the fact that Nicolas Cage earlier was like, I've seen children drink their own piss. It's like this movie really uh, is hitting the child's card pretty hard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is also the, weird this that when he the just... evil president also uh, threatens Baldy by saying, Agent Noah Cross was your friend a good friend, as good as friends get. And I don't think that's the case. <laughs> no, they don't seem to like each other. That's also not the way any person has ever talked in the history of the world. <laughs> I also don't know why like, he has to have like this these props for show and tell. Like, <laughs> Since everybody already knows what New Eden is? I mean, because it, yeah. it makes it a cool scene, dude. And you know why? Because the tactile sensation of an object really can get mm-hmm. a point across in a way that mere words don't always. Join me, won't you? In a little voyage into the world that I call proper communication. Hi, I'm Elliot Kalen. Would you like okay. to be an effective communicator for, for both is... business, pleasure, or combined? I didn't yes. sign up for this. We all would. And so the first rule of communication I, is object work. Use an object. Did I buy a master class online hit, that I don't hit, know about? Hit the back button. Hit okay. the back button on the remote. Preferably, <laughs> uh, preferred objects include dead children's teeth, cans no. of coffee, or too many cookie jars. Now, any of these can be used to get your point across. Lesson two. Tell a tale. Facts don't stick in the human mind, but stories do. We're a people that love stories. Stories like the Humanity Bureau, in which, in the next scene, Nicolas Cage— Okay, great. He smashes his phone so they can't track him, and he demand. This is when our hero, Nicolas Cage, demands gasoline from a handicapped man at gunpoint. <laughs> and- handicapped man really like turns his opinion around on Nicolas Cage too. Like he hates- like, he's been- like he threatens this guy at gunpoint, like you say, and then like as Nicolas Cage is leaving, he's like, "Are you a good family man?" And Nicolas is- Nicolas Cage is like, "I try to be," and and this like. Creates a bond between them so strong that the gasoline man then I think crashes are, his truck into the, it's the a bad guys' car. Bad guys. It, this, you I, guys are being mean to Brian, the owner of Brian's gas or whatever. Oh, like okay. his name is written on the thing. No, I prefer Brian gasoline who, man. Brian who wind, carries yeah. around a carries around a crutch, but never leans on it at all. And <laughs> he doesn't seem to, it more as a prop, like Elliot was saying. He doesn't seem to need the crutch. The crutch seems to be there more as a conversation starter. <laughs> <laughs> but you would think, like, if he needed a crutch, maybe he could use it to lean over when he spits out his tobacco juice. Because most of the time, he's just spitting it on himself. Yeah, that's that's the full character of this guy. No, no, he likes there's, to there's, likes chewing uh, tobacco. There's there's the characters. Here's the three three four things about him. He owns a gas station. He pretends uh-huh. he needs a crutch. He likes to chew tobacco, uh-huh. and every line he says is so hilariously portentous. He goes, <laughs> I, he goes, he shows Nicolas Cage all this extra gasoline. And he goes, I was saving these for a rainy day. Something tells me a storm is coming. <laughs> like everything he says, everything he says, it seems like it was designed for the trailer. Like this, this actor was like, "I'm gonna be in the trailer for this movie. I'm gonna rewrite all my dialogue so it's just like super ominous." And then he, and then he, he crashes his tow truck into a bad guy car. I assume giving his yeah, life. Yeah, the, 
Yeah, the the sad, lonely end of Brian, the gas man. Yeah. Now, he smashes his car into, you would hope that he would smash it into the lead car of the pursuers, but in fact, he hits the second car, leading the uh, leading Westinghouse to look over his shoulder and say, what the hell? And that's it. Like, that is the, that is the entirety of Brian's eulogy. <laughs> that's what it says like, you think they would stop their yeah. car and be like, what is going on? But in fact, what the hell? Let's just continue. Yeah, yeah that's I Put mean, it on his tombstone. Brian left the world as he entered it, making people go, what the hell? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> Who is this guy? Uh, Nicholas Cage bonds with Lucas over a lucky rabbit's foot that he gives to Lucas as a gift. And he says he plans to take them to the lake he used to go to as a kid, Jackfish Lake, which he has a postcard for. And Rachel doubted exists. And this is kind of one of those things where it's like, I feel like we've seen this in other post-apocalyptic movies where someone has like a piece of memorabilia from a place that used to exist in the before times in the old yeah. world and they're trying to get to it. I'm having trouble thinking of a specific example off the top of my head, but yeah, it looks like any location map in the fallout series of games, basically. Yeah. There you and go. the, uh, that kind of like fake postcardy shit. And he's, I think he's, he's bonding with him while sitting on the prow of what, like a rowboat that's on, uh, like sitting in a, like an old dead lake. Like it's, it's just desert. And yet there's a bunch of fish just lying around that look like they haven't been there that long. <laughs> Maybe the lake dried up like a day ago. It's, yeah. it's a movie that seems to not have put a lot of thought into uh, how long in the future it's supposed to be. Like it's it, the, the, everyone's like, oh, nobody remembers a world where there were lakes. But they were like, oh, we better show this was a dried up lake. So we'll put fish around. Not even like fish bones, not even the band Mm-mm. fish bone which would have been amazing to have them suddenly appear and put on a performance in the movie. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, who wouldn't love that? Okay, uh, Baldy, he threatens the rebel who told Nicolas Cage about New Eden, and he says, I'm going to kill your family. And then it's like, psych, I already killed him. And we never hear about those characters ever again. Uh, (laughs) Nicolas Cage gets stopped by a family of survivalists led by a German dad who has the another one of these hilarious lines. He goes, what is your business here, stranger? And it's like, all right, is it medieval times all of a sudden? (laughs) (laughs) Well, first I thought they're like getting into Canada and I'm like, this is an interesting take on a Canadian accent. (laughs) Uh, Well, also, like he feels the need to identify himself as German, too. Like he actually says it explicitly and it's just like, yeah, dude, we can hear you. I don't understand. It's, what- al- it's almost like they were like, people are going to wonder why he has this accent. So we better just call it out ahead of time. But it was yeah. unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tells them, uh, he gives them a root north and a Geiger counter. While Lucas bonds with uh, the guy's kids who are kind of what, Reavers? Or they're kind of like a raiding family. It's one of the, it's like. Yeah, it's like Rufio and the gang. Yeah. Or like, uh, uh, what's that? Was that Captain Fantastic, the Viggo Mortensen movie? It's like, yeah, they're, they're feral children who live out in the, in the wildlands. Uh, so Baldy learns that Rachel is living under an assumed name. She stole the identity of her neighbor who's dead. And he also shows off his exercise pool to his sidekick Porter. Now, this is what meant to show that Baldy is so rich because he, he's a, you know, a fascist uh, government agent that he can afford to live in a place that has a swimming pool. But mm-hmm. there was but there was like an, I don't know if I should bring it up. There's an icky moment in there for me where he t- he's like, Porter, you should, and Porter is black. And he goes, Porter, you should get in. And he goes, no, I would drown. And I'm like, uh, that's, I mean, are they not aware of the, like, there's a racist stereotype that black people can't swim. And so that's yeah. like, I, that's not cool movie. Like, I mean, you probably don't know you're playing into that, but it's still a weird moment and I didn't like it. And I thought this was a colorblind fascist totalitarian, totalitarian dystopia. 
And now, <laughs> and now I'm going, I'm kind of weird, grossed. It was like, yeah, you're on, you're on board before. You're like, sure, New Eden, whatever. Get rid of the birds. But now, hey, look, I'm a maker, not a taker. Get these leeches off of me. Let's go galt, everybody. <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. it's, but it's also like it shows, I guess, how unrealistic the movie is. That when they pull out a child's dead tooth, I was like, eh. But when they when they accidentally touch upon a, a racial stereotype, I was like, movie, that's too far. Maybe it's maybe it's just what I expect from movies and don't expect from movies. I don't know. It says more about me. Well, I guess what I'm saying yeah. is this movie's a Rorschach test in that mm-hmm. it's yeah. not trapped in here with us. We're trapped in here with it. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. The, so, the true Rorschach test is whether or not you think Rorschach is the hero or possibly a villain of that story. I guess so, yeah. Certainly an argument I had with a friend of mine when I was 15. Uh, mm-hmm. So, Nicholas- That friend, Zack Snyder. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so, Nicholas Cage- and the other guys, by which I mean Rachel and Lucas, they're in the car. Uh-oh, a drone is flying overhead. They have to bump, 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 sit in their car and wait for it to fly away. That's the that's the, <laughs> the next challenge on their quest. And, uh, they, and they all really get on each other's nerves. And I'm like, oh, they are beca- – this is one of those moments where I'm like, they are kind of becoming a real family because they're all on each other's nerves on this long car trip. And Lucas uh-huh. is like, hey, my friend told me New Eden is a death camp. <laughs> And Rachel is like, don't say that. And Nicolas Cage is like, no, he's right, it is. And it's like, how, how big a secret is this if Lucas heard it from his friend at school? Like, come on. Yeah, that's like finding out that after you beat Mike Tyson and Mike Tyson's punch out, there's a secret guy named Bray Trashman who throws trash at you. <laughs> like, I heard that in school. Like, there's no way that's a real secret. Or if it turned out that they really did invent hoverboards that worked and parents did take them off the market because <laughs> they were so dangerous. And you were like, how did uh-huh. kids get this secret information? I don't understand. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, those parents, I guess, are the same parents who lied about Freddy Krueger ever existing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, kids have ears everywhere. <laughs> yeah, like uh, on on their heads, certainly. <laughs> yeah, mostly on their heads, Dan. No, I can name no, a couple no. different parts of the body. No, that I think I, I, I've, I've seen kids. They're, <laughs> they're just covered in ears. They're lousy with them. Oh, that's gross. And then Dan pulls down his pants to show us the ears on his butt. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot, come on. I'm not a kid. Oh yeah, that's I'm sorry. If yeah, he was a kid, off. he would have. They dropped yeah, off when a, you when you went through puberty. Your ex, your vestigial ears my, fell my, off. My baby ears. <laughs> your baby fell out. ears. You put them under your pillow, and the ear fairy comes along and gives mm-hmm. you I don't know what. What does the ear fairy give you? Well, just a ball of, ball of wax. It's really gross. Oh, I that's disgusting. Uh-huh. I don't know why I put the ears under my pillow if I knew that was going to happen. This is we're putting together a pretty good spec script for the next Channel Zero season. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is there's a moment here where. Rachel is like, so are you going to tell Lucas that you're his father and he's your son? And it's one of those things where you're like, I knew this was going to happen because I know how movies work. But there was nothing in the story that would have led me to believe this. Yeah. It just kind of comes out. It comes out of nowhere unless you've seen a movie, in which case, mm-hmm. you know, that's the case. And Nicholas Cage is like, oh, I don't know, blah, 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 blah. But it means that Nicholas Cage knew that Rachel was not really Rachel, despite she doesn't even have the Rachel haircut. So like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, he knows that if anything, she looks more like a Monica. Yeah. A harmonica, if you will. Oh anyway, wow! No, <laughs> no? Isn't, that what, isn't that what her dad, Elliot Gould, calls her? <laughs> harmonica, was it? Yeah, I think so. Okay, I'll allow hey, it. Hey, f- hey, Friends fans, check out the Friends wiki. Text me later <laughs> whether or not I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> Promise not to be a creep like a Ross over here. Wait, are you calling me a Ross? I'm just saying Ross is the villain of Friends. Yeah, okay. Ross is if the there's bad a guy. baddie. He's it's Ross. Ross is very yeah, clearly sure. the, the the worst, most horrible character in Friends. Because he's a mm-hmm. he's a jerk, but he thinks he's the hero. 
Uh-huh. And look, you either, and Gunter is there to warn us away from <laughs> trusting in Ross. Yeah. I, the, you, what people don't realize is that Monkey was is Ross's parole officer, who's there to keep him <laughs> in line. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Oh, did you not know that the friends live in the Zootopia world? <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, yeah. They're the last humans in Zootopia, and the apartment people are like, how do they afford that apartment on a waitress's salary? Because they're in a human zoo, dudes. She's not really a waitress. Yeah, she, that they makes just put sense. her in an environment that she feels comfortable in, where she would do human life-like activities, so she doesn't go crazy and chew off her own feet. You know, like an animal mm-hmm. in a cage. So. Ross is very much like just the bad guy, you know. But it's All like right. that. It's like that old saying: either die a hero or live long enough to become Ross. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. So Baldy, at this point, Lucas stops to use the bathroom. Continuing our and Baldy attacks him in the bathroom. Continuing our theme in the movie of Lucas having adults with him when he's either bathing or using the bathroom when he shouldn't need to. Really, he's old enough that he can do it on his own. He doesn't need a bad guy there. Turns into a firefight with federal agents. Lucas gets away from Baldy by stealing his fake eye, which I couldn't quite figure out how that happened. It seems like he, just, <laughs> he just took it from his pocket, which doesn't make any sense. It was like yeah. it was like he stole it from his pocket, and, and Baldy was like, my eye of power, I'm too weak to hold you now. <laughs> yeah, and Wessinghouse, when he loses his eyes, like, hey, you little, and then the kid drops it down a fucking vent, and he's like, I'll get it. And Westinghouse is like, I guess I'll just stand here and wait for you to come back. <laughs> and then, like, I'm sure it cuts to him a little bit later. He's like, I don't think he's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Lucas runs outside where Nicholas Cage almost backs his car into him in what was a pretty good stunt in that it mm-hmm. really did look like they almost hit that kid with the car. <laughs> uh, okay. So Rachel tells- well, I guess take take our moments of joy when we can in this movie. Look, yeah. I'm, I'm like get- when Nicholas Cage defends his decision not to go with Lucas to the bathroom because, as he says, it was number two. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. I didn't even think which, about that. Which means they had a conversation about it too. <laughs> like Lucas uh-huh. was should like, I, "Should I come with you?" He's like, "No, it's number two. All right. Sh- so, lo- so does yeah. that mean I shouldn't come with you? And Lucas is like, "No, Agent Cross. If it's number one, sure. Number one, more's the fun." Everyone hates yeah. that would be. He's like, number- I've, I've, I've heard about you, Agent Cross. You like watching kids drink their own piss. So yeah. if it was number one, you're coming in. Number two, I don't need you. That's that's the just remember that rhyme and you'll always remember. Yeah. Okay, okay. What about number three? The mythical number three? Well, 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 <laughs> Noah Cross. I don't think you're ready for the secrets of number three. <laughs> uh so Rachel tells Nicholas, hey, I was friends with the real Rachel, with Lucas's mom, and we had a fight because she wanted to sell Lucas And then when he was a baby. And I said, no, he's too beautiful. Don't sell him. And then I accidentally killed her. and that, Or it's implied that she killed her accidentally <laughs> in the fight. And Nicholas Cage is like, all right, okay. And uh, they, they then drive through a radioactive zone. Uh-oh. Uh-huh. The Geiger counter says, actually, there's not that ra- much radiation. It was a trick. They didn't want people going to this place uh, for some yeah, reason yeah. that I don't Yeah, that, I don't that's get. never made clear, like, why everyone thinks that this place is a radioactive zone and then, like, and then it's not. And, like, who's spreading this and, like, why there aren't more people in the non-radioactive zone. And it's like we just – we mentioned it before. We just watched for the bonus episode uh, Star Trek V with uh-huh. the Greatest Generation guys. And it's exactly like when they're going through the Great Barrier to find God at the end of the movie, and, and they're like, "No one's ever gone through this barrier." And then they're just like, "I guess we'll go through this barrier," and, and they do it just perfectly fine. Yeah, Nicholas Cage has more trouble with his car driving than they have with the Enterprise going through the Great Barrier. Yeah, uh, and it's really weird because it's like, I guess it's supposed to be like 
the government didn't want people to know about this place where there are still trees and snow because they'd know there's resources. But it's like the whole reason the Humanity Bureau exists is because there weren't enough resources. So if there were, why are we doing this? Like, what? <laughs> like, why are we doing this? You thing? Yeah, and it's not like bored. it's <laughs> not like the the New Eden lie. Like maybe maybe running death camps like provides something for them. Like it would make sense if they were eating them because at least they're creating a resource. But otherwise it's like, yeah, okay, run away. Then we don't have to take the time to, to turn you into ashes. Well, the other thing is like, oh, if you live out in the wasteland, okay. Like you're not getting any of our resources anyway. It's, I guess what I'm saying is they didn't put a, yeah, we were saying they didn't put a lot of thought into the creation of this dystopia. Uh, they reach a heavily wooded forest uh-oh, Baldy and the federal agents, Westinghouse and the agents, they show up and catch on to them. And Westinghouse is like, give me the memory card with the proof about New Eden. And then he kills Rachel, kind of gratuitously, and he steals yeah. Lucas. And Nicholas Cage says, let the boy go. I'll give you the memory card if you let the boy go. And he does. He lets the boy go, and Nicholas Cage is like, run, run into the trees, Lucas, which is hilarious because it's like, <laughs> you know this kid's going to die, like, instantly, right? Like, how is he going to – you don't think he's going to become Mowgli all of a sudden? Like, he doesn't know how yeah, to Yeah, I mean, forest. maybe – Maybe he read Hatchet as a kid and knows all about that shit. <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't have a hatchet, Stuart. How is he going to survive without a hatchet? Maybe he'll find one. I don't know. Okay. He knows a lot of Molly Hatchet songs. Would that help? <laughs> I don't know. Molly Hatchet, their album covers always sold me an unfair bill of goods there. Uh, their album covers looked awesome and their music was meh. Now, here's the part where Westinghouse shows that he's not that dumb. Is He's like, let me just check this memory card right here in front of Nicolas Cage. Hey, it's blank. You tricked me. And he just shoots mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage in the head. Lucas runs back and the feds are like, why did you come back? And a sniper <laughs> takes out all the feds. Uh-oh. There were rebels in the hill in the forest that Lucas found. I guess he stumbled on them mm-hmm. when they were what tapping trees for their maple syrup. I don't know. Yeah, there's there's two questions here. Like number one, why does Westinghouse, upon finding out that there's nothing on the thing, just shoot Nicholas Cage rather than be like, all right, where's the real information? <laughs> and number two, like those snipers came in a little late. You know, <laughs> they could have yeah. shot them maybe before they killed Nicholas Cage and Rachel. Yeah, mm-hmm. but possible. I mean, they might have been like, I don't oh. know, Rachel's. Rachel's a murderer. I thought we already covered that. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> true, true. she killed Lucas's harsh, mom. Harsh justice from Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now the next scene is Lucas with the sniper and his female compatriot. It's not. I guess you're supposed to assume they're married. I don't know. In their ski lodge, they live in a very nicely appointed <laughs> lobby of a hotel in Aspen. And, <laughs> and uh, it's like if this is what life is like outside the cities, then yeah, like okay, great. Let's do it. Let's not live in the cities. Like what? And uh, mm-hmm. they take Lucas in, and they go, do you have any idea where the real memory card would be? Hey, guess what, guys? It's in the only object that the movie spent any time talking about, the rabbit's foot. Oh! Because oh. oh. sometimes in this world, you got to make your own luck. Always bet on black. Or in this case, mm-hmm. Lucas. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the they play the memory card, which has a message about New Eden from Noah Cross, where he just says, like, it's a death camp. Watch out. Don't go, don't believe him. Blah blah blah. This message, and it's one of those things where it's like, so Noah Cross, instead of using the original memory card that was given to him, or maybe he recorded over it with his own message because mm-hmm. he thought he he was a better communicator. He took my course. Uh, yeah. Why didn't he just? Why did he then not tell everybody along the way? Oh yeah, New Eden's a death camp. Like, what was he waiting for? What moment well, was he waiting also, for with this? I mean, not to get ahead of things, but like the next the next thing is they cut to like hilarious stock footage of riots. Yeah, to indicate that this 
message has gone through the world and like everyone's there's an uprising, but that, there's no indication that these rebels have any ability to broadcast this message to the world. Like I don't know how that act that part of it happened. I mean, but. I'm just gonna assume because they didn't get they didn't tell me that's not how it happened. I'm gonna assume it's the same way it happens in Johnny Mnemonic and they're in like Henry Rollins and uh, and the other guys are just broadcasting it under on some kind of pirate TV radio station. The symbol uh-huh. that you need to to break out of the system, you know? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's like in Pump Up the Volume. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, sure. Or they live. They break into the local yeah, TV station. Yeah, and just, yeah, yeah. Now you're getting it. Or that yeah. rock and roll pirate radio movie that came out a couple years ago where it's like a offshore oil drilling rig that they turn into a radio station. Mm-hmm. Something yeah. like that. Maybe that's what it is. Anyway, the or, point or like is... An air, or like in Airheads where they take over that radio station <laughs> yeah. and play music. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everyone remembers Airheads. <laughs> I mean, of course you remember it. Comedy Central played it all the time. They played it a lot. It's it's it, Look, that was the movie that forged the bond between Adam Sandler and Steve Buscemi that we mm-hmm. are still reaping the benefits and rewards of today. Uh, Guys, for some reason, I saw Airheads in the theater. I just want to confess I, that. I mean, I get it. It was it a good cast. You, you like Brendan Fraser. Uh, Dan, yeah. I saw the Jerky Boys movie in the theater, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> the only Shit. defense you need is that you were young at the time. Look. Yeah. This. What's funny about the Jerky Boys movie is that, like, I don't remember anything except the very end of it. So it's very possible that me and my friend got the showtimes wrong, got there late, saw the last 10 minutes of the movie, and then left. And we're like, that's enough. <laughs> that's all we need. <laughs> Either that or I blocked out the rest from my memory. I don't know. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, as Dan says, revolution breaks out because <clears throat> people are like, Nicolas Cage's word is all that I needed. That, that uh-huh. that's or And it's really funny because it's like, again, everybody seemed to know that this was the case. They just needed, like, someone to, I guess, pop the bubble. You know, there's loud. never a moment. There's never a moment in that mo- in the movie where we see any characters talking about New Eden in a way that's like that isn't totally silly. Like every time, so- the only person who talks about New Eden positively, it's Nicolas Cage as he's about to send somebody there. Like yeah. at no point is there somebody who's like, "Yeah, you know, maybe maybe New Eden makes sense for us." Yeah, you'd think people this, would be. This like- is the movie downsizing. <laughs> Uh, do you think people will be applying for New Eden? Like that's yeah, yeah. It would be like a it, the same way that uh. So spoiler alert for sorry to bother you. That in sorry to bother you, people want to go into these kind of slave prisons that have been set mm-hmm. up to by that one corporation so that they can have a a home and meals. Like it's if they do. You know what, guys? We should have watched Sorry to Bother You. This is just a really good movie, and the Human uh-huh. Bureau is not a good movie. Okay. Uh, so revolution breaks out. Free folk are streaming back into the city so that they can get on some of that Fed killing action. And uh-huh. dead Nicolas Cage in his last moments on Earth, which apparently stretched the months that it takes for this revolution to take place, uh, mm-hmm. he, he remembers swimming at the lake. Or maybe the whole uh-huh. thing is what Nicolas Cage is imagining in his last moments on Earth. We don't know. We don't yeah, care. It's it's the fields of grain in, uh, in Gladiator. Yeah, or yeah. Uh, fields of gold in Sting. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, after uh-uh. after it's, eleven I am years, tired of this. Stuart Tom definitively, <laughs> definitively shuts things down. What, Stuart, can we compromise and say it's more of a Salisbury Hill scenario? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm, a Salisbury steak scenario. <laughs> so that's the end of the movie. Nicholas Cage got them. Inst- Nicholas Cage should have been more focused on getting the message out instead of like helping this kid and. And the old order returneth, I guess, or perhaps a new order that's better than the old arrives. Who cares? It's the Humanity Bureau. For the Flophouse, yep. I've been Elliot Kalen. Back to you, Dan. <laughs> I'm Stuart Wellington. <laughs>
No, that's not how we do it. Uh, we do final judgments. Uh, uh-huh. Was this a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or movie kind of liked? Yeah. Uh, this was. This ranks high up on the list of boring movies we've done. And by high, you mean uh, low, right? Well, I mean like on the, the list of most boring. Yeah, but, it ranks high. Because I, I mean, now and, you know that on the DVD of the of the Humanity Bureau, it's just going to say ranks high. Or ranks high on the list, Dan McCoy, the Flophouse. Yeah. Uh, as I said at the beginning, there's nothing di- like distinctive about this story at all. We've seen it all before. It's all very predictable. Uh, there's no reason Nicolas Cage would have made this movie other than to fund his castles. Like, mm-hmm. I can't see any other name actor reading the script and being like, yeah. Yeah, this is this seems good. I mean, Eric Roberts would probably be into it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, ironically, Nicolas Cage is making the Humanity Bureau, so I guess he, so I assume so he can pay back the IRS the money he owes them. So yeah. maybe he's like, oh, I'm finally going to stick it to him. This is really going to say something about about how the government takes advantage of people. And it's like, mm, Nick, you, I mean, you didn't take, you didn't do proper accounting. I mean, that's part you of know, the problem. As much as I respect you as an artist. You know, I I like the I kind of enjoyed the first act of this movie. It's really silly, and that guy has bread taped to his face, and everybody goes out of their way to say how pretty the uh, female lead in the movie is, which is really strange. Yeah. Yeah, so it is weird that people con- like the only quality she has that anyone remarks upon ever is that she's pretty, and it's presented as if the movie thinks that it has to keep reminding us, which is weird. Yeah. It's like the way in Triple uh, X Three, everybody has to keep telling us how cool Xander Cage is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, there because if we don't hear it once every ten minutes, we yeah. will completely forget. Well, they didn't. They didn't make this explicit, but in this dystopia, there are no pretty women anymore. Oh, okay. So this is yeah. So you're saying it's people like just L- the movie Pretty Woman has been banned because it reminds people of a of a world uh, gone by. Mm, yeah, that sounds like a big mistake. <laughs> Stuart, you saying that makes me so glad I went with a Pretty Woman movie <laughs> reference and not a reference to the song Pretty Women from Sweeney Todd. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this is a bad, bad movie. Don't watch it. It's a bad, bad movie. It's worth watching, like Stuart said, the very beginning just to see how bad the car driving effects are. But, uh-huh. yeah, but don't watch the don't watch it. It's very boring. It's not, if you're going to watch, if you want to have fun watching a Nicolas Cage cash grab, there's much better options. For you. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for a new comedy podcast, why not try the Beef and Dairy Network? It won Best Comedy at the British Podcast Awards in 2017 and 2018. Also, I there were no horses in this country until the, the mid to late 60s. Specialist bovine arse vet. Both of his eyes are squid's eyes. Yogurt buffet. She was married to a bacon farmer. Who saved her life? Farm raised snow leopard. Download it today. That's the Beef and Dairy Network podcast from MaximumFun.org. Also, maybe start at episode one or weirdly, episode 36, which for some reason requires no knowledge of the rest of the show. Hey, gang, uh, this is Jesse, and I am joined by Bikram, the managing director of Maximum Fun. Hi, everyone. So, we have some really amazing news to close out 2018. After this spring's pledge drive, we gave members the chance to buy enamel pins with the full profits of those sales 
going to the National Immigration Law Center. This is a tough time to be an immigrant in the United States. As individuals, as a company, and as a community, we wanted to help provide resources for immigrants in the face of these attacks. We're proud to live in a nation of immigrants, and many of us here at Max Fun are immigrants or the children of immigrants ourselves. Together, we raised over $100,000. NILC will put that money to good use, providing legal representation to immigrants and their families who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford it. We are so proud of our community for making such an immense difference in so many lives. And whether you bought pins or not, you can help the NILC advocate for immigrants right now. All you have to do is go to MaximumFun.org NILC. That's MaximumFun.org NILC. Our thanks go to all of you who made this possible. Great work, everybody. And happy holidays from all of us at Max Fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the classic the classic pause and yeah as Dan switches gears audibly into the next section of the show. <laughs> um yeah. Uh sorry. <laughs> I just got text or something funny, uh, which I saw as I was going going into my phone to do ads and letters. <laughs> Ads ever, and letters are ever so the professional. Funny text. Funny yeah. text. Was it some kind of funny gif? Uh, yeah. Someone doctored a photo of me and sent it to me. So, just imagine that. Mm, I hope that friend is listening okay. to the podcast and feels good about themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Uh, ads. Sure. Yeah. Everyone loves them. Let's, let's do some. Let's keep the lights on. Yeah. <laughs> they certainly uh, do. This flop house is supported by Butcher Box. Butcher Box uh-huh. delivers healthy, 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, free-range organic chicken, and heritage-bred pork. Butcher Box is committed to raising animals humanely and free of antibiotics and hormones. Each box comes with at least 9 to 11 pounds of meat, enough for 24 individually-sized meals. 24 meals, guys, from one box. That's a great box-to-meal ratio. Can you imagine it? It's <laughs> like the loaves and the fishes. I, I can't imagine it for reasons <laughs> I'll explain after Dan finishes. <laughs> okay. You can choose from five different box types. All beef, beef and chicken, beef and pork, mixed box, or a custom box, <laughs> which let you choose your own cuts. Meat is frozen at the peak of freshness in individual vacuum-packed biodegradable packaging. Hey, Think of Butcher Box as your neighborhood butcher, uh-huh. delivered right to your in door. In a box. Yep. Mm-hmm. On dry ice with free shipping anywhere in the lower 48 states. It's a real midnight meat train. <laughs> yeah. For, <laughs> for free bacon and $20 off your first box, go to butcherbox.com slash flop and enter code flop. That's butcherbox.com slash flop, code flop for free bacon mm-hmm. and $20 <laughs> off your first box. Have y'all been y- y'all been eating a lot of meat lately, right? No. Uh, I certainly ate the bacon. I I haven't gotten to the beef yet. Let me guys. Let me let me tell you something. Let me testimonize. Let me testify to this. So, you know, I love meat, perhaps too much, like Quinn Cannon mm-hmm. in that one preacher storyline. But I love yep. meat, and so I was very excited to get a butcher box in the mail. It was a ton of meat. It was I was so surprised. It was a lot, and it was really mm-hmm. good. Now my family has eaten through most of it. I got to fry up some bacon for my son, and we really bonded over this father-son bacon moment. We were cheersing each other with our bacon strips, and 
We had, there was really high quality ground beef in there that we made hamburgers out of. There was really high quality chicken in there that we ate. You don't need to know how we eat our chicken. We do it a couple different ways. And it's, and it was <laughs> a, a couple other things too that we haven't even gotten to yet because there was so much meat in it and it all tasted really good. And look, I love meat. I got high standards for meat and ButcherBox exceeded those standards in a box at my door with dry ice which is always fun because then you can pretend you're in a mad scientist laboratory. So uh, here's an ad for the vegetarians in the audience, and it's about contacts. <laughs> <laughs> Support for the Flophouse comes in part from Simple Contacts, a convenient way to renew your contact lens prescription and reorder contra- contacts from anywhere in minutes. Need to renew your prescription? Take a five-minute vision test from your phone or computer. It's reviewed by a licensed doctor. You receive a renewed prescription and reorder your contacts. Have an unexpired prescription? Mm -hmm. Just upload a photo or your doctor's information and order your lenses. Now, uh, simple context. want you to know Uh this isn't a replacement for your periodic full health eye exam. Okay. Now, uh, you guys are eyeglass wearers and contacts havers. You better believe it. My eyes are garbage. I can't see crap without lenses of some kind. So yeah. this is exciting to me because I've been thinking about sw- – I used to wear contacts, and it just became a real hassle. It was hard for me to keep up reordering them, and yeah. finally mm-hmm. I was like, forget it. I'll just wear one pair of glasses all the time and look like a total nerdzo dorkville instead of the uh-huh. totally cool guy with super perfect vision that I appeared to be when I had contact lenses on. Now then Oh, I would, you were so radical back then. I was so yeah, radical, now, yeah. And now that you're in L.A., L.A. is such like a appearance-based culture, right? You just want to oh. blend in with all the young stars. The minute I walk into a meeting, they see I'm wearing glasses, and they say, no, thank you, please turn away. And Like a, a writer wearing glasses. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never. And their monocle falls out of their eye, which I think is a little hypocritical that they wear monocles, but they're against glasses. Now, when I met my now wife, when we were first dating, uh-huh. I was wearing contact lenses. If I was wearing glasses at the time, you're you're basically lying to her. I so I was giving her the lie that my genetic code included yeah. mm-hmm. good eyesight, so that she would marry me, so that when we had children, they would have good eyesight in their genes. Luckily, yeah, it was a, it was a lot like a, like a Molly Hatchet album cover. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Without contact lenses, she might have known that I was carrying flawed vision genes. She might have mm-hmm. said no, thank you, and the date would have been over right from the beginning. So contact lenses, they're important. And anything that makes it that much easier to keep getting them and not run out is great. Yeah. Uh, uh, hey, get $20 off your contacts order at simplecontacts.com slash flop or just enter code flop at checkout. So that's a little deal for you. Okay. Uh-oh, listeners. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. For a- anyone who uses it. Yeah. Steals and deals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, don't steal. Please don't actually steal the things. I, I believe each of you has a Jumbotron to read. Does, yeah, yeah, yeah. Does anyone want to go right. first? Let me pull up this bad boy. Uh, you want me to All go right. first while you're pulling yours up? Hell no. I am already. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. This, this message is for Graham. The message is from Matthew Hain. Dear Graham, it's me, Sludge. Surprise, biatch. I know that it's been an incredibly tough year first with your diagnosis, and then your heartache. So I want to say what an honor it is to be pals with you. You were a true friend when Mum died and things got rough. Thanks for all the beers, yelling, Van Percy's, and Flophouse sessions. Much love, Matt. That was very sweet. That was very sweet, aside from the biatch in there. Yeah, I feel I'm sorry for whatever... uh 
bad times the uh, recipient has gone through. I hope that this uh, your friend's Jumbotron salves the wounds mm-hmm. a little. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I didn't read it too sassy. Mm-hmm. You can you can just write in and let me know. I'll use the desassifying filter. Oh, p- 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 when I, yeah, that, that comes with this program, right? A desassifier? Yeah. Oh, wow. I had trouble pronouncing it because it's a word that doesn't exist. Hey, I've got a Jumbotron too. It's made up out of real words, so hopefully I'll read a little better. This message is for Aaron, and it's from Jacob. This message is, congrats on your PhD, Aaron. Congratulations. It's been wonderful working with you, and I am so excited to see where you will go in the future. Your intelligence and helpfulness is a real inspiration, as is your ability to skip leg day and yet somehow out-squat the entire lab. So this this guy's got brains and brawn. That's amazing. I am so grateful for your thoughtful mentorship, as well as for turning me on to the flop. So another very sweet message. That's from Jacob for Aaron. Yeah, and if you want to get on the Jumbotron, go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Mm-hmm. People can hear about your squats. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've been looking for a way to to inform more people about my squats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's take some letters. Wait, before <laughs> why, we do that, not? Dan. Before oh, we do okay. that. Before we do that. We All have, right. Before we do that, look. We've still got a show coming up at the end of January, and I just want to talk about it for a moment. We're going to be doing a show live at the University of Wisconsin-Madison in beautiful Wisconsin. That's right. My grandma's alma mater and my sister's alma mater. I got Badgers in my family, and I'm very proud to be entertaining some Badgers at the U of WM. That's going to be Saturday, January 26th, 2019, the future. But it's going to be here before we think. Robots and Hovercrafts 2019. That's at uh-huh. 8 p.m. Saturday, January 26th at the Wisconsin Union Theater, Shannon Hall, University of Wisconsin-Madison. Tickets are available online. It's a very complicated URL, so just do a Google search for Flophouse University of Wisconsin. It'll come up and uh, student tickets. That's and that's uh, yeah, that's the last Flophouse show ever. Currently, uh, I mean, cur- it's currently it's scheduled. It's, it's the, the last, last one, one currently scheduled. It's the last we one have, scheduled. We will do more. I, I haven't talked to you guys off air about this, but our agent did get back to us with some some options. Glad for we're throwing that in this episode. Wonderful shows. student tickets only ten dollars to the Flophouse show, January twenty sixth, University of Wisconsin Madison. Should we say what movie we're doing? Yeah, do it right now, uh, Dan. W- like. Are we sure? I mean, we're sure it's going to be available, right? I think yeah. so. If it is, okay. a, if it is available for us to watch, we will be doing Venom. Oh yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. My favorite Marvel character, circa age thirteen, finally uh-huh. in his own movie and starring Tom Hardy. How could it go wrong? This is going to be Crit- a critical a, on financial success. Venom. Yeah, I mean, gonna, it was a huge financial. It success. It was a big success, and some critics liked it. Will we feel the same way? Uh, let's find out on the Flophouse live Saturday, January 26th. It's Venom time. University of Wisconsin-Madison. Get your tickets now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's let's do letters. I said it before. I'll say it again. Uh-huh. Now it's for real. Okay. This time. Okay. Now and forever. Cats at the Winter Garden. <laughs> <laughs> this first letter is from Sebastian. Last name with help. Okay. Okay. Sure. <laughs> uh, now, Dan, normally. Dude in the voice. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, I would no. sing a a uh, calypso type song about the letters under the C, the letter C. Mm-hmm. Uh, at this yeah. point, but we've had enough of my jabbering. Let's get on to that letter. Just imagine okay. that song at home, everybody. Okay. Because uh, I think it would go a little something like this: the letter C, the letter C. It's a letter in the alphabet, along with all the other letters. The letter C, and so forth. Okay. 
Uh, so this letter from Sebastian goes like this. Isn't it weird that both Unbreakable and National Lampoon's Animal House both end with postscripts? I don't know. They're just such different movies that it's weird that both Harold Ramis and M. Night Shyamalan both decided to include these in their scripts. Is there a movie you three have flopped that you wish included a postscript at the end to inform you about what happened to a character after the, after the credits have rolled? Yours and flop, Sebastian. Well, I think, I mean, I think the, the, the text at the end of Unbreakable was mainly there to maintain the absolute last moment uh, twist reveal. Uh-huh. So they didn't actually have to have the movie go. Like, they want people to be like, what? And then immediately leave the theater. Yeah. <laughs> Which we is what clear it out for the next showing. Yeah. <laughs> that was it reminds me of when I first saw the trailer for Unbreakable, and the moment you saw Samuel Jackson's haircut for the first time, everyone in the theater erupted in laughter. <laughs> uh, so I kind of wondered at the end of the Humanity Bureau. I want to know what's uh-huh. going to happen to Lucas a little bit. Give me a postscript. Is he become the president of this new world, or like a child king? I don't understand, but yeah. I wanted to know. What about uh? What about something like uh, like Stand by Me, where you have a bunch of kids getting in troubles? Uh huh. I, I mean, well, you, do, you do find out what there is a postscript in Stand Wait, by Me. Wait, what happens? <laughs> <laughs> You're like they all live long lives. None of them go to Vietnam, right? <laughs> <laughs> this question requires me to remember movies that we've done, which is a real problem. Oh, yeah. are we talking about movies we've done? No, it could be. Yeah. Oh, yeah, any movie that we have flopped. I'm going to say Humanity Bureau. I'm going to take the easiest one that I remember because okay. we did it already. And I'll say this. I can tell you a movie that we didn't flop that I wish did not have a postscript at the end. It's called uh-huh. The Imitation Game. Oh yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. I did not need to be reminded that we call those thinking machines computers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- this thinking machine would grow up and one day be called a computer. <laughs> it was almost like, I wish it said, it came up, on screen says the text says we today we call them computers and then another text comes that says you idiots <laughs> so um, what's academy a- uh, academy award nominated film the imitation game yep for writing uh and but what about like if there's a postscript to the end of food fight to tell us what happened to all those characters like what, what's gonna <laughs> mm-hmm. happen to larry miller's elderly out and proud batman yeah yeah dan uh well i assume that uh because he, because of uh, the Supreme Court ruling allowing gay marriage, uh-huh. he uh, gets married to his longtime paramour, Mr. Clean. Okay. Oh, okay. I can yeah. see that. That would be very sweet. Mm-hmm. And that would mean Mr. Clean, uh, the people who own Mr. Clean would pay more money for Food Fight 2. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, finally. More than more than the two bucks I assume they paid for the first time Was around. he in Food Fight? Oh, I don't yeah. remember he's, at all. He's, Mr. Clean's walking around in there, which food, Mr. Clean is not a food product, so it's a little weird that he's in there, but. <laughs> in fact, know. I would encourage you not to eat it. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's put that in the Tide Pod category of looks delicious, but don't put it in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. the yeah i i gotta I gotta apologize to our listeners because I don't remember most of the movies we watch. Uh, big surprise, and uh, can't really answer this question. That's no, okay. We, we came up with some bullshit, and I'm gonna nitpick a little bit and say that Dan earlier when he said Supreme Court decision allowing gay marriage, I want to change that to upholding recognizing the right of gay marriage. Yeah. Well. Okay. It's I, not like the Supreme Court was like, I'll allow it. The Supreme Court came around and was like, oh, yeah, this is a human right, and we shouldn't deny it from you any longer. <laughs> yes, you're right. I Clearly, I'm a bigot who purposely no, Dan, you misphrased. Didn't, no, no, no. I'm just trying to save your bacon. Bacon you okay. can get from ButcherBox if you use our code. Yeah. All right. Uh, this next 
letter is from Amos last name withheld. And Andy. Oh, racist. <laughs> oh boy. Wow, this oh we boy. are really stepping in it a lot today. Wasn't 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 Nicolas Cage in that movie? Uh, he was in Amos and Andrew. Oh, my mistake. <laughs> it's, that's they're like Amos and Andy live in Florida. A- we're Amos and Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he so writes. Wait, I've never seen Amos and Andrew. Is it based on Amos and Andy that the radio and television? No, they were. <laughs> no, they were just going off of the name recognition, I guess, of that <laughs> racist radio it show. Seems really weird. <laughs> it, yeah, you know, it's a bad choice all around. <laughs> It's like, oh, we wanted we wanted to do uh this it's uh we're doing this movie, it's called uh it's called uh Birth of a Ration. It's a comedy about rationing. Wait, so it's <laughs> oh, and no. it's about the clan? No, why would you think that? Yeah. Amos Nandrew um, seems like a weird name for that. So what's it about? Yeah. Is it an action movie? Uh it's like a buddy comedy of some kind. I don't know. Is I it saw like it on the TV Fox and way, the Hound? way back when. <laughs> Is it like Milo and Otis? <laughs> it's like Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. Oh, okay. So it is yeah. like Milo and Otis. Yeah. Uh, Amos writes, I was listening to an old episode, your review of the last Taylor Lautner video, vi- sorry, vehicle, <laughs> abduction. Not not, not like a VHS tape. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, not just that video ep- he put out on Twitter for his fans being like, this is Taylor, much love to everybody. <laughs> yeah. Let's keep it loud. In that episode, Elliot said the movie would have been better if it had taken a sudden turn and Taylor Lautner had brought the statues in the Pittsburgh, in the Pittsburgh Pirates Stadium to life to fight the villains. Yep, mm-hmm. I stand by that. Yep. It reminded me of a movie I saw earlier this year, Sorry to Bother You, mm-hmm. which, spoiler alert, takes time, kind of a crazy turn in its last half. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever enjoyed a movie that completely changed tone and went wacky toward the end? Best regards and keep on flopping in the free world. Amos last name withheld. I mean, I think I think my favorite movie that kind of turns into a comedy in the last half is, of course, Takeshi Miyake's Audition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, was... side splittingly wacky in the, at the end. <laughs> That's another movie I'd like to see post credits for. Oh yeah, I can't there. I can't hear someone say without bursting into laughter. Um yeah, I feel like most sort of gear shift gear shift movies like shift gears into something serious at the end rather than wacky. But you could say I mean like so I could you could say that it's not the end necessarily, but you could say Gremlins 2 does exactly this, that it starts off as a kind of pretty straightforward aside from the part with Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck are arguing with each other at the beginning it starts off as a pretty straightforward Gremlins type movie and then gets crazy yeah. and I, I I mean I've talked about Gremlins too I think on this podcast before I love it it was a very formative experience for me seeing it so like that's an example kind of but it, it goes wacky yeah. like a third of the way into the movie I think and obviously from Dust Till Dawn like starts off as a fairly serious crime film and then turns into a wacky vampire comedy it gets mm-hmm. very silly um, yeah, but like, I, I, had a, I had a person at the bar arguing with me that, uh, from dust till dawn had zombies in it. And I was like, no, no, no. I assure you it's vampires. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know much, many things in this world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but like most of the examples I can think of are things like something wild where it starts off as kind of a lighthearted romp and then like it gets like. Yeah, like sort of draw, serious at the end. Yeah, like to draw you in, right? To get yeah, you. yeah, and they drop the other shoe. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a movie that I did not like, but I did 
I would have liked it more if it was more like the white ending that we watched for the Flophouse, that movie The Cobbler with Adam Sandler, uh-huh. where uh-huh. it is not a good movie. And then at the very end, suddenly it's about a father and son cobbler team that is in a secret spy war with what dry cleaners, and they end <laughs> up having a having a secret hideout underground that with a supercar in it. And it was like, wait, where was this movie the whole time? Like, why couldn't mm-hmm. it be this movie? <laughs> why did I watch a movie where Adam Sandler gets in disguise as his dad to have sex with his senile mother when mm-hmm. I could have been watching this movie about spies? Yeah, yeah. Uh, why indeed? Last letter <laughs> from Leo, last name withheld. Who, uh, Leo Gorsi from the Bowery Boys, a.k.a. the Dead End Kids. Ahoy hoy, original peaches. I'll get the sad stuff out of the way first. In the last year, both my father and future father-in-law passed away unexpectedly. The day that my father went into the hospital, my close friend's dad died of cancer. Also, I broke my toe. An avid podcast listener, I decidedly turned away from any media that wasn't abundantly joyful, which led me to the Flophouse. For a solid six months, you guys were the only cast I could hold close to my heart. It was nice to find myself weeping from laughter rather than grief. This is always very nice to hear. So, I, Yeah, that is very nice. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not nice to hear that people have lost loved ones. No, definitely. Say that. So, let's, again, let's, let's, clarify. let's just clean up Dan's language a little bit. But it is nice to hear that we have helped someone through a hard time. Dan's it's weird like, that this is always Dan's nice not even... Dan's not even speaking off the cuff. This is a prepared statement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is always nice to hear that the human population has been lessened, as Malthus warned us it must inevitably do. Dan, please. No, but it is it is very heartwarming to know that our Look, I just read what's idiots. in the teleprompter. <laughs> it's not, it's nice to know that we have helped someone in some in some yeah. strange way. But Leo goes on to write. On an unrelated note, I've peddled the phrase boner police around my social circles for several years trying to find a home befitting its glory. This is the kind of shift we were just talking about where it started very serious and has become quite wacky. Who are the boner police? Are they law enforcement perpetually edging themselves from the thrill? Do they haunt illegal boners in a dystopic gun cotta riddled future? Uh I never solved the riddle. But on a recent episode, <laughs> Stew Balls dropped this phrase so perfectly, mm-hmm. yep. I should have known that some pursuits are best left to the masters. Mm-hmm. So, Stu, yeah, can I you mean, this, us about boner police? Yeah, I, think, I think this letter about boner police brings up an important point about the Humanity Bureau, and uh-huh. that's if they wanted, like, if they were going to be so rote, and by that I mean a movie written by people, okay. that <laughs> they should have just cribbed from Equilibrium a little bit more, a movie that does exactly what Humanity Bureau is trying to do, but better because it has gun kata in it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. This Here's- has been my prepared statement. Okay. <laughs> I mean, then, I had less about Boner Police than I expected. Now you plead the but- fifth. <laughs> Well, Stuart, as Stuart's lawyer, I'm going to advise him to take the Fifth Amendment when it comes to boner police on the grounds mm-hmm. that what he says about boner police might incriminate him in activities that the boner police would like to look into. Okay. Sure. Okay. Now, are the boner police, are they always getting into, jur- <laughs> now, are they getting into jurisdiction dust-ups with the F- Female Body Inspector Bureau, or is it just like- Oh, all the time. I would imagine, Yeah. Yeah. Now what about? But the, what I mean, about, I feel like less said's the better. I think uh, I think my dumb mouth's already getting me into trouble today. So let's <laughs> uh, let's move along. What's the next part of this podcast, Dan? Okay, well, at Stuart's bequest uh, or request, I guess. No, no, Stuart um. has has left us, and now he's he's bequested <laughs> us with this, with this ending. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's yeah my last in my last gasp. I ask you to do something different on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was his last wish, so. We should honor it. <laughs> especially, especially <laughs> this is especially tasteless uh, misspeaking after the last letter, too. Yeah. 
Now's the time on the podcast where we recommend movies you definitely should watch instead of the Humanity Bureau. Mm-hmm. Um, I just watched yesterday. I went out and in the theaters. Okay. On the big screen. What theater was it? It was the Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. What do you watch? I saw Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, Dan the uh, Dan's the number one Spider-Man fan here at the Flophouse. Oh, <laughs> making me so mad. I want to see that movie and I can't. Uh, it's I it's really it. it's really fun, guys. Um, and it's got our boy in it. Which boy is that? Nicholas Cage. Cage. Oh yeah, yeah. If you want to see a good Nick Nick Cage movie this Cage season, go out and see Into the Spider Verse. I don't know, like, what else to say about. It. I mean, like, it's it's just it's packed with story and fun and jokes and in jokes and like jokes. Heart, heartfelt feeling. Uh, it's just, it's just a movie that you're surprised at how much stuff they can get into a movie, uh, watching this film and it all works really well. And at the end of the movie, it turns into like a crazy psychedelic light show with the beautiful animation. Spoiler that's alert! Fun too. Spoiler alert, yeah. Dan. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Uh, Dan and Dan, everybody at uh, listening at home, Dan's currently wearing a pair of those hard to get Miles Morales Nike sneakers. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> yep. Well, Dan's a real he's a real shoe collector. He loves it. I am a shoe collector. Yeah, yeah. You say that as a joke, but I have so many shoes. Yeah, he's got a huge collection of Jordans all wrapped up in cellophane. I mean, they're not. <laughs> yep. Yeah, they're not. I'm not a sneaker collector, but I. Yeah, and you love the comic I, strip shoe. About the uh, conservative that's right, duck, about the cranky. Oh no, that's I'm thinking of Mallard Fillmore, the, the cranky foul. reporter bird. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's uh, one of the most inexplicable comics on the comics page, and now, that's saying a lot. Is it more or less inexplicable than Funky Winkerbean? Uh, I mean, the thing about Funky Winkerbean uh, is that it's the Elliot. absolute funniest comic fans <laughs> ever read. should call it Funny Winkerbean, right? Is that? Mm-hmm. Uh, for a wanker bane. What? He's not that funky. <laughs> oh, uh, can someone call the boner police to deal with this wanker bean problem? <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, but for a wanker bean, you're saying he's not particularly funky. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's the. <laughs> I'm imagining the world. I think they put the car. I'm imagining a world on that one <laughs> where funky wanker bane. Is so fu- is so popular that they do a porn parody of it <laughs> oh, <laughs> called no. Funky Wankerbean. <laughs> yeah, I mean it might exist. Who knows? It's particularly for band teachers who want to watch some pornography. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now here, uh, here's the thing about Funky Wankerbean. When I was a kid, I would read the Sunday uh-huh. comics, but I didn't always read the daily comics. And so I'd be like, Garfield, hilarious. Peanuts, I love it. Funny and heartbreaking. Like uh, this Far Side, hilarious. And then I get to Funky mm-hmm. Wankerbean, be like, okay. Here's one panel of a character dying. Um, I don't. How am I supposed to take this right now? Yeah. So well, you know, we've we've grown to love those characters so much over the years. The, oh, all those famous characters, like the guy with the glasses, of course, mm-hmm. Funky Winkerbean, who seemed to never actually be in the strip. Uh, <laughs> the band teacher. Yeah, uh, I think the guy in the glasses was the band teacher. So we've. Uh, is that, uh, to name two I, I, characters. I think Guys, is that the is that the comic strip with Bill the Cat where he's always saying "ack"? Uh, no, that's a, that's, that's Bloom, Bloom County. County or Outland. I guess it's also known. Do yeah. you think that? Do you think that uh, Bill the Cat and Kathy get mad at each other because they both have the same catchphrase? Yeah, they got into a big intellectual property battle over that. There was yeah, it was it was Cat v Kathy. Mm-hmm. And they went all the way to the Supreme Court. <laughs> and who did they who did they rule in favor of? Mm-hmm. Uh, they declined to hear it. 
Oh, so it and, didn't go all the way yep. to the Supreme Court. And then, well, they, they, they went up to the federal level. Yeah, and then the... Croc threw them both in jail. Croc. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a, like a... Pr- no, I remember Croc. <laughs> What's cra- I mean, he's like Bill- a prison warden, right? I mean, the yeah. thing is, Bill the Cat had a lot of nuisance lawsuits that he was filing because there was also Cat v. Cap, his lawsuit against mm-hmm. Andy Cap. Ah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. About cheese fries. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Who, who invented and owned the cheese fries trademark? <laughs> uh, someone else go. Uh, uh, okay, I'm going to recommend a movie that I have to throw a big old caveat in front. Okay. Mm, caviar, uh, it, delicious. Yep. <clears throat> it's directed by a buddy of mine. Okay. Uh, it is the movie Leprechaun Returns, uh, the latest Leprechaun movie that acts as a sequel to the original uh, Leprechaun movie, kind of in that like reboot, uh, so it's sequel like, type thing. like the most recent Halloween. Kind of like the most recent Halloween. Ignore like, all the sequels. Or like yeah, Superman like Returns, all the... where it was like, this is a sequel to Superman 2. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's exactly like that. And, uh, oh man, uh, Dan, real quick, <laughs> can you type in your address into my phone so my wife can find me? <laughs> <laughs> this episode's really getting a lot of fun. outside world interruption. Do you want me to talk? But don't, while don't, you do that? don't, no, don't, don't say it out loud because then people will know where we're currently at. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm going to recommend Leprechaun Returns. Uh, it's a fun little Leprechaun movie. It seems to understand that. Uh, you know, Leprechaun is basically if you... Wait, Stuart, I have a question. Yep. If you don't know my address, how did you get here? <laughs> well, I didn't type your address in because I'm trying to do this fucking thing oh, on I the podcast. It. So, I see. I can't do You're both just delegating yeah, uh, work. You're yeah. not... It's not that you didn't know my address. Um, okay. So... Stuart, <laughs> Stuart went, into a, right? went into a trance and he asked his spirit animal, Spuds McKenzie, where, uh-huh. where to find you. I mean... I prefer Patronus, but that's okay. Uh, (laughs) So uh, Leprechaun Returns, it's basically, you know, Leprechaun is basically if you just take Freddy Krueger and only keep the like funny, goofy parts, right? So uh, it manages to be pretty fun. Not all the jokes land, but there's a lot of them. Uh, The special effects are great. Uh, It's directed by Steven Kostansky, who directed Manborg and The Void, two movies I like quite a bit. Um, And it... You know, it, it looks better than you'd expect. It's just, yeah, it's fun. Leprechaun returns. And like the fucking leprechaun rides around on a drone for a while and a dude gets his head chopped off. It's wild. <laughs> yeah, so, so sounds de- fantastic. Delivers those leprechaun thrills. I like The Void a lot, too. Maybe I'll check it out uh, with my limited movie watching time. Hey, guys, but I watched a movie, too. Let me tell you about it. I watched a movie I liked called Summer 1993. Now I know what you're mm-hmm. thinking. This is a movie about the release of Jurassic Park. I wish. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. That's not what it's about. Uh, it's a Spanish movie from uh, last year, direct, written and directed by Carla Simone. And it's about a young girl whose mother passes away. And so she has to go live with her aunt and uncle and their daughter, who's a little bit younger than her. And it's a movie that's about someone, like basically a kid trying to figure out what her life is like and what world she is in now, now that the things that she knows and is used to have gone away. And the performance by the lead girl is really, really great. And the story is told less in kind of like straightforward one after another scenes and more in kind of like moments that this kid is going through. And it feels like uh, they they capture really well kind of like a child's perspective on the world and on the events going on. It really reminded me of what it was like to be like a, like a 10-year-old kid trying to make sense of like 
what adults are doing at, a, at any given point, like why I can why certain things are okay and certain things are not okay. And I just thought it was really good. So that's summer 1993. But watch out. It's, it's not, not about Jurassic Park. It's not about Jurassic Park, and it's not in English. So get ready to read some subtitles. But I thought uh-huh. it was really good. Yeah, I mean, if you're one of those folks who wants to watch a movie and not read a book, maybe you shouldn't go see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. That kind of petered out at the end. I mean, it's, it's less reading than a book, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what kind of books you read, dude. <laughs> I mean, it's more reading than Horse Meets Dog. Hey, wow. Horse Meets Dog. My, my, it is. That's true. But that's a children's picture book that's in stores now. It's a bestseller at the Reader's Bookstore in Sonoma, California. And it is, you know, it's just a fun book about a horse and a dog. I wrote it. The great Tim Miller drew it. It's on shelves now. Why not get one for the child in your life or the person who's young at heart in your life? Or just buy it. I don't care who you give it to. Just, like, Uh send it to a prisoner. I don't know. Throw it in the ocean. Like, as long as you pay for it, it's yours. You own it. Do what you want with it. I hope you read it. But, like, I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what you're going to do with it. Just pay for it and buy it and own it. Strangely libertarian ending of that message. Uh, Elliot, the why not for the second printing, why don't you rip off that uh, John Stewart quote on the front and add Dan's quote, less re- less reading than a movie with subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I think that'll get more people interested than the one by John Stewart that calls the book delightful. So uh, I'll think about it. Horse Meets Dog, on shelves now, summer 1993. I watched it on the Canopy app, but it's available other places too. Uh, before we go, we should always remind you that there are a lot of great shows over at MaximumFun.org, mm-hmm. our podcast network. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you want to spread the word about the Flophouse, write us a review on iTunes or tweet about us with, mm-hmm. you know, a hashtag, an appropriate hashtag, let's probably the, the hashtag, Flophouse Podcast let's, or let's Flophouse use, Podcast. Let's, lose, let's use hashtag Flophouse Podcast. And right. uh, yeah, and why don't you tell, tell, tell people about it. You can be at the gym and somebody's like asking why you're cracking up and you're like, because I'm listening to this super funny podcast, buddy. And he's like, okay, let's keep working out. (laughs) And if you see one of us walking around, feel free to come up and tell us you like the podcast. You know, that's not the same thing, but it feels nice. I was at a, uh, I was at a place that just this past weekend with my Mm -hmm. step, with my father-in-law and my son while the, Mm -hmm. while the ladies were off having a baby shower and the uh, and a guy walks up and goes, "Is your name Elliot? Oh, I recognize your voice in the Flophouse. I listened to it, and it made me feel a hundred feet tall. Which, for a guy like me who is roughly two feet tall, is a great sensation. So, <laughs> yeah. But even better than that, uh, write us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast, or tell people about us. Yeah, in a, uh, in a good way. Don't tell people about us in the way of like, don't listen to these guys; they're terrible. Yeah, maybe keep that to yourself. Yeah, or or if, you, or if you're like, if you listen to this podcast, you go insane in seven days. Don't tell people that. Yeah. I mean, it's not true, but also I don't feel like that, that would drum up interest, though. Yeah. <laughs> That's true, I guess. Yeah, in a kind of a in kind of a bird box way, where people are like, uh, "Oh, now I've got to listen to it." Yeah. Um. So another cage has come and gone. Oh man! But don't be sad. Till next year. Oh, yeah. It's it's so hard that moment when you take down your cage decorations. You're cleaning up all the wrapping paper from your cage's presence. You have to shoo Nicholas Cage back up the chimney out of your house because he started living on your couch. And, mm-hmm. you know, you just say goodbye until the next time. But we've got a whole great year coming up ahead of us, guys. 2019, it's going to be good stuff. There's going to be lots of crap movies for us to watch. Aren't you excited? I can't wait, Elliot. I mean, we haven't even watched Gotti yet. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited about that. You guys, how, do, how have we not watched Gotti yet? Why couldn't We're, Nicolas Cage have been Gotti so that we could watch Gotti this month? 
He's in Gotti too. Yeah, I think I think I it's think like that's the probably substitute series. <laughs> I think I think that's probably the next one. We've put it off long enough. Mm-hmm. Just so so a uh, mm-hmm. little teaser for the next episode. But for now, we should sign off this episode. Uh-huh. I've been Dan McCoy. Yeah, you have. All right, <laughs> and, and I'm Stuart Wellington. <laughs> okay, and I'm Elliot Kalen, saying Mary Cagemas, one and all. Bye. I had to put Stuart's hair out at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, at, the, at the at the groom's request, I insisted that Dan McCoy cancel whatever plans he was doing and come to this bachelor party. And I think you showed up after I don't know, like the tenth round of shots. It feels yeah. like. Uh, so I was probably really fun to hang out with. I was talking to <laughs> Stu, and he put his head down on the on the bar. And it, he put it over a candle, uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I, pull, I pulled his head up, and because it had started smoking, and I like started clapping in the air. <laughs> Wait, I think I think you said that wrong, Dan. It started smoking. Yeah, and then Stewart <laughs> Stewart said, "Somebody stop me from immolating myself." <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.